Ain't nobody going to hold it against you if you rewind that and do it again. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Turn, if you would, to the Second Kings, book of Second Kings, chapter 5. Second Kings, chapter 5. Thanks so much for being here tonight, being part of this service. I know there's a lot of uh, uh, unrest and a lot of uh, anxiety, but we're thankful that you're here. We're thankful if you're watching by live stream. I hope everything is going well. A lot of times, let me just explain this just for a second. Uh, I, I saw some of the comments, you know, the sound's too loud. Uh, you got a volume control on your computer there. Uh, just turn that thing down a little bit and your sound won't be that loud. Uh, and then it says it's sound, I can't hear it. That means turn that knob up a little bit and you'll be able to hear it a little bit better. And uh, some of it is actually, we had a great signal this morning. I think everything was wonderful, and it is tonight also, uh, and, uh, or so-so anyway. Uh, it may be your reception that's causing the problem and not the fact of the live stream going. So we do the best we can, and uh, remember, this is Longview. Uh, and I'll just leave that said right there. Amen? All right? 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away a captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him or cure him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, and saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I'll send a letter unto the king of Israel. He departed, he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. It came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. He shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you that we are greatly blessed. Your mercy and grace is so precious to us. And uh, Lord, we stand amazed at what you can do. How precious is your name tonight. Lord, would you speak through me, use this service to touch lives, and we'll forgive, uh, give you thanks for everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Bible begins this chapter with a man named Naaman, and uh, he has a position. The Bible says he's a captain. He's got a position. He answers to nobody but the king. He's a great man with his master. He not only has a position, he's got prominence. The Bible says he's honorable. 
Sometimes you can find men of prominence, but sometimes they're honorable and sometimes they're not honorable. But this man has prominence and position. He also has performance. The Bible says that by him the Lord had given deliverance to Syria. He not only has position and prominence and performance, he's got power. The Bible says he's a mighty man of valor. He's got power, he's got performance, he's got prominence, he's got position. He's also got prestige. Many and everyone would consider this man Naaman a great man. Uh, but in all that he had with the power and position and prominence and performance and prestige, none of those P's would take away his problem. His problem was he had leprosy. And the power couldn't take it away. The prominence couldn't take it away. The, the performance couldn't take it away. The, the prestige couldn't take it away. Some of the greatest people in this world uh, have money and fame and fortune. But I want to tell you, that won't take away the problem that all man has. Every man. They can own cars. They can have nice houses. They can climb up the ladder to worldly success. But it's not going to take away the problem that we were born in sin and iniquity and nothing you have will ever take that problem away. Naaman had a problem. They would go out on these excursions, and they would pillage the land, and they would bring back, and they brought back a little maid, a little girl. The Bible didn't tell us much about her. We don't know her name. We don't know her age. We don't know her background. We know that she's a little maid. You say, preacher, how can you preach on something that there's so little details on? I believe that God takes the details out of the story because I don't think God wants to use you based on what your name is. I don't think God wants to use you based on what your pedigree is. I don't think God wants to use you based on which side of the tracks you came from. You may be sitting here tonight and saying, I don't have a fancy name. I don't have a wonderful pedigree. My family background is not real good. God's not interested in letting people know who you are. He's looking for people who will let them know who he is. That's what I'm asking you tonight. Who's listening to you? Who's listening to you? This little maid was brought back from Samaria to Syria. She ends up staying in Naaman's house. There she is doing what she was told to do. She's positioned in the home of a Syrian captain. And the Bible records this unnamed maid making one statement. One statement in verse 3. She said to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would cure him of his leprosy. That's the only statement she makes. Just a few things here. There's not many details, but she's got something that she declares in a few sentences. And watch how the wheels begin to turn in verse 4. One went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. What's her name? We don't know, but thus and thus the maid said this. Well, how old is it? We don't know how old she is, but thus and thus said the maid. How popular, we don't know how popular she is, but thus and thus said the maid. The maid, does she come from a good family? Thus and thus said the maid. Over and over, all of a sudden, somebody in Naaman's house, maybe his wife, maybe another servant, but he got word to Naaman. Naaman went to the king. The king begins to gather merchandise on the word of this maid. He sends merchandise with a letter to the king of Israel, and, uh, to the king of Samaria, Israel, etc. And he begins to wonder, 
uh, why is he sending this to me? The man of God in Syria, the, the king says, why is he doing this to me? I, am I God? I, I can't do anything to help him. And so he comes and tells uh, the king, Elisha does, he said, listen, don't worry about this. Uh, send him on down to 777 Victory Boulevard where I live. I'll let him know there's a, a king and a prophet in Israel. Hey, don't, don't, don't sweat this. Just send him on down to my house, and I'll take care of all of that. And so Elijah, Naaman goes down there. Elijah told him to dip seven times in the Jordan River, and he goes to the Jordan River, and he dips seven times. His leprosy is gone. It's like a baby's skin all over again. And the great Bible story was written. By the way, just to make sure you understand this, if he would have dipped six times in the Jordan River, he wouldn't have been cured. Just so you understand this, if he would have chosen to go to another river other than the Jordan River, he wouldn't have been cured. You see, God's got a way of salvation. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. You add anything to that and it don't work. You add baptisms and do it, it don't work. You add works to it, it don't work. You add tongues to it, it don't work. You see, if you want God's answer, you've got to do it God's way. This, in our day-to-day, -day, it's estimated that this king sent a million dollars worth of supplies. Gold and silver and clothes, raiment, a million dollars based on the word of a little maid that we don't even know what her name is. Now, I've heard great sermons on Naaman, and I've heard great sermons on Elisha and different ones, but I, I want to just focus tonight on this little maid, on this little maid. Who listens to a maid like that? I mean, you know, you could listen to a maid. You want to know how to take a scrub mark uh, off or scuff mark off somewhere, or you may want to know what kind of fragrance to spray in the room. Don't give everybody a headache. Or maybe you need to uh, figure out how to put something on uh, with newspaper where the glass doesn't uh, streak or anything. But who in the world would listen to a maid that gets all the way to the palace? Why would a maid, thus said the maid, and it gets all the way to the palace? A king sends a million dollars worth of merchandise based on the word of a maid. Who would go into a king to start with and say, King, because of the maid saying this, would you do this? Who in the world would do that? I'm going to tell you, that's one special maid. That's one special maid there, brother. I guarantee you, she had a testimony. No way that uh, uh, anybody's going to listen to the word of a little maid unless there's something in her life that warranted them listening to her. The way she lived, the way she carried herself, her testimony, she didn't have to say a lot. She didn't have to say it more than one time. She just opened her mouth and said it one time, and the whole country listened. Let me ask you something. Who's listening to you tonight? Who's listening to I'm not just saying who's letting you speak. You see, the people around us that do a great job of telling others how to live according to the Bible, the problem is they ain't living it themselves. And there's nobody listening to them. Husband keeps quoting to his wife the Bible, but she can't see it in his life. There's a wife that keeps reading her kids the Bible stories, but they can't read it in her life. There's a worker on the job, and he's standing up, and he's saying, you guys ought to come to church. Your life don't live up to what you're telling them, though, so they don't even listen to you. 
There's a student in school that says, hey, I wish my, my friends could come to church, but they don't come because you don't live it. Thinking about Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible says he never should have been there. He was an elected official sitting at the gates of the city, and yet the Bible says in the New Testament he was righteous. That means he was saved. He was saved, but he didn't live like he was saved. He didn't live that in his life. And when he spoke up about God, they mocked him. They said, there's no way you could believe this based on how you live. You can't do that. How sad to have all the answers, have all the right answers to save someone's life but not have the credibility to do it. Wow. Parent, what good does it do to make everybody think we're living a godly life except for those who see us all the time. Who listens when you speak? Now, I won't charge you for this, but we need to be careful quoting what some other spiritual leader says because if you don't adopt the lifestyle of that, you're just mumbling words, and it's going to fall on deaf ears. I believe that this Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation. I believe it. I believe Jesus saves. I believe the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life of victorious uh, living. I believe the principles of the Word of God will work. I believe in the miracles of God. I've seen them. I've learned by experience. First church I pastored, the first thing we did was step out on faith. $425. We raised, it took us 30 days to raise $425 to build a concrete slab for a carport we had. Wow. The last heart surgery I had, I want to tell you, I, I didn't have a piece. I had a piece at the first one, but I didn't have a piece at this last one. God been trying to teach me some things. I'm, I'm ready to learn because I'm ready to move on. You know, if you know anything about Christian education, God is an A-C-E God. If you don't pass the course, he gives it to you again. It's not like the public school system where you just keep moving on up. You have to pass the course or you, don't, you get the same thing all over again. You get the same thing all over again. I'm not sitting here scratching my head when the world tries to come up with all these answers about sin and about immorality and about drugs and about... Uh, all of the racial violence and all of those things. I don't have it all figured out, but I'd love to have a microphone for a little while and march through Washington, D.C. and tell them that Jesus is the answer to the problems that we have here in this country here. We've got the truth, but if we don't have the, if we don't have the testimony, what good does the truth do us if we don't have the testimony to tell the truth? Because nobody's listening. This girl gets brought to a foreign country. Boy, we, people, I mean, you, you bring a foreigner in, uh, and they look down on others. You're not from here. Becky and I were in, I don't remember the name of it. Is it Elena, Arkansas, or where, somewhere up there? We walked in this restaurant, and, I mean, you know, well, they knew we were new because everybody stared at us, you know. We didn't know if we were supposed to sit down. We didn't know if we were supposed to order at the counter. We didn't know if somebody was going. We didn't know anything. So we just kind of walked through, you know. Oh, 
you know. We ate good food. We ate and got out of there as soon as we could. Brother Mark was telling me about a place he went to not long ago, and uh, he went in, and it kind of the same kind of situation. He looked at an old man over in the corner and said, uh, do, do we sit down or do we order? And he said, you'd know if you're from here. <laughs> this little girl's not from here. She's in a foreign land. Let me give you just three things here quickly, the testimony that she has, because she's got something special about her that we ought to have about us. I think, first of all, she's got a testimony of unselfish compassion. Mm. Verse 3. Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that's in Samaria. In the midst of unfavorable reality, she's got a good spirit. She's, uh, listen, there was a time when the soldiers came marching in and, and I don't know if she was in her house and they took her or if she was at the park and they took her or if she was in the school and they took her, but they came in and took her, took her away from her family, from her home, snatched her and brought her back to Syria. No parents, no familiarity, away from home. And she's in a home with an unfavorable master. If there was somebody that she ought to hate, it ought to be the head of the master of the home where they put her because he's responsible for going to another country to steal that little girl from her home and her family and bring her to Syria. And yet the very man that she ought to hate the most, she's got compassion for. Would to God, she said, that my Lord were with the prophet that was in Samaria. Wow, unselfish compassion. And then there's an unnatural rationale here. Most people would be bitter. She got better. Well, when trials come, you'll either get bitter or you'll get better one. You say, preacher, why don't people listen to me? Well, maybe you're not displaying compassion. And you'll argue and say, oh, yes, I am. I don't have a problem loving people as long as they love me back. I don't have a problem treating people well as long as they treat me well. I don't have a problem speaking to people as long as they speak to me. I don't have a problem shaking somebody's hand as long as they shake my hand. But what happens when your love has to be displayed when somebody you, you haven't done any wrong to but they're mad at you? What happens when you have to display love around those that you know are lying behind your back? Mm. What happens when you've got to speak to somebody that won't speak to you? Mm. I'll tell you, if you live for Christ, there'll be a difference. Somebody will know something different than you. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's, it's a God thing. It's a God thing. I'm not telling you this is going to be easy. I'm just telling you the reason people are not listening to us is because we don't have an unselfish compassion for the hearts of people. We're living in the day. This is, this is an evil day. 25, 30 miles from here this morning, a pastor killed, two others injured. Mm. No, no real reason. But I'm going to tell you what else we're living in. We can blame the evil all we want to. I'm 67. Am I 67 or 68? One of those. I'm, I'm near 70. <laughs> and I want to tell you why. 
I have never in my life seen a day of more Phariseeism than I'm watching today. With Christians, with Christians, you, you, <laughs> you, you want people to listen to you, then you show a love that's not convenient. You want your enemies to listen to you. You learn to turn the other cheek. You want those who you've hurt and have hurt you to respond to you. You learn how to respond in love and not respond in revenge. You show compassion. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. I'm here to tell you that every word that the guy sang and the choir has sang this morning and tonight, it's all true. It's true. Every word. He didn't, Jesus didn't utter a murmuring word. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He had all the power on that cross to call 10,000 angels. Oh, excuse me. He could have called one angel. Oh, excuse me. He didn't have to call any angels. He hung on that cross because he had compassion. Not for the people who did him right. Mm-mm. Not for the people that loved him first. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were dead, Christ died for us. When we were disobedient, Christ died for us. When we were in darkness, Christ died for us. When we're still messed up and fall today, Christ died for us. I'm here to tell you Jesus got up out of the grave. He's coming back one day, and the blood of Jesus still saves sinners from their sin. But I'm here to tell you also that when a Christian walks into the world and he looks down on people and ridicules people and mistreats people and thinks he's better than other people, people don't listen. They don't listen. I'm glad you're at church tonight. You're the choir. I'm glad you dress nice. I'm glad you talk nice. But let me just be honest with you this afternoon. You're not better than the drunk. You're no better than the liar. You're no better than the adulterer or the homosexual or the thief or the robber. We would all go to the same devil's hell, whether we were in church or whether we were in a club, were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die for us. Maybe the reason folks are not getting saved, it's not because we're not quoting scripture right. We're not loving right. Some of the nastiest Facebook pages I've seen come from Christians. I've watched them in line at Walmart tear somebody apart and then want to come and pray, he's the name of Jesus. Mean, rude. I tell you, even today, a little waiter, God, waitress, God bless her, uh, dumped a whole plate of food. And I, boy, I almost, I thought, whoo, you got to preach that tonight. That's in your sermon. I said, don't worry about a thing, honey. It didn't hurt a thing. Isn't that what I said? I, I probably wouldn't have said it if I hadn't been ready for this message. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> all, all I'm trying to tell you this, if all you do is frown, I don't want to take a class from you on how to be happy. If you try to get me to eat Brussels sprouts, I don't want to take a class from you on how to eat right. And if you don't have compassion, I don't want to hear you say, I've been with Jesus. 
Because when you get with Jesus, you're going to have compassion. She had an unselfish compassion. But not only an unselfish compassion, she had an unwavering confidence. Look what she said in verse 3. Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recur or recure him of his leprosy. Now that's confidence. That's, com- that's what we call old-fashioned faith. Old-fashioned faith. You see, faith without works is dead, but works without faith is dead also. You're not going to work long if you don't have any faith, and you're not going to have any faith if you don't work. Hebrews 11:6. without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Absolutely. I'm so glad she didn't say, you know, I wish, I wish my Lord could be over there with my prophet in Samaria. He might could work a deal out and cure this leprosy. He maybe could be at the right person with the right medicine. Maybe he could tone it down. It's a pretty good chance. Maybe if you get back to Samaria, Elisha could fit him in. That's not what she said. She said he would cure him of his leprosy. That's faith. That's faith. I tell you why people don't believe in our God because we don't believe in him. Who wants to run to church with you when you're limping trying to get in? Who wants to believe in you when the first little thing happens in your life, you fall apart? You have no faith. You see people, you know, that, that, that's, why, that's why we took down in these later generations those old boards that we had. Used to have them up here at the front. Said attendance and offering. Because uh, they, they, they related the whole atmosphere of the service. If you walked in and we had 100 more last week than we had this week, you was lower than a snake's belly. Oh, man, that's disappointing. Well, let's sing praise the Lord. Pray. I don't feel like whole countenance. Whole countenance. Can't concentrate. The choir's all in and you're still lost. Your body got to church about an hour ago and your soul's still in the bed asleep. You say, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, I want to just tell you what this little girl was going through. She's strapped down in a house. She's in a foreign family. She don't have a mama. She don't have a daddy. She don't have any friends. But I'll tell you what she did do. She had a God who could reach from Samaria all the way over to Syria. I'll tell you that. She knew that. Do, do you believe in God in such a way that others believe you? <laughs> Is your God really that big? Is he that good? I, I don't know. I guess the older I get, you go through these surgeries and all, and I don't, I'm not chastising you. But I tell you, it's real easy to just see somebody and hear somebody say, oh, it's going to be all right. Well, yeah, it's going to be all right. You ain't the one got cancer. Yeah, it's going to be all right. Yeah. And truly, for the child of God, it is. I mean, we're, we're going to a place, but I will tell you what, there's a lot of things we have to look at that we're leaving behind here also. It's amazing to me. You say everything's going to be fine. Casper says boo, and you jump three foot. <laughs> Would you notice her experience? You say, well, preacher, she come from Samaria. 
she probably was in a Christian school where they made them learn scriptures every day. Her mom and daddy probably took her to church every time the doors were open. She had good parents. She made, uh, made her read the Bible. Of course she acted right. Of course she believed in God. Of course she can understand that. You see, we downplay people's faith. If I had what you had, I, I could be strong too. Mm -hmm. If I was raised with a Christian mom and daddy, I could be strong too. If I was away, you know, in a place like Samaria where God did miracles and lepers were healed and, and all of that, sure, they acted right. We don't have time. i got to quit. But in Luke 4.27, would you listen to these words? And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. Many. Amen? Right out of the word. And none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. You say, preacher, what does that mean? That means this little girl's never seen nobody healed of leprosy. She ain't never seen that before. But she knew her God could do it. Would to God my Lord was with the prophet in Samaria, for he would cure him of his leprosy. You see, she believed enough about what God could do. She had never seen it. She had never known it. it, it I don't, listen, you don't have to see God do it to know he can do it. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power worketh in us. You say, I'm scared. I'm facing what I've never faced before. I know what you're talking about. But if you'll come to your senses, you'll realize you're not facing anything that God's not already faced before you. And you're not going anywhere that God's not already leading. It was unselfish compassion. She had unwavering confidence. I don't believe God can. I've heard that over and over again. Don't believe God can fix my marriage. Oh, well, we found something God can't do. I don't believe God can restore this relationship. I don't believe God can heal my body. I don't believe God can help my finances. Well, just go ahead and hit the mute button because when you have that spirit and attitude, ain't nobody going to believe you in any way. Faith moves God, but faith also moves people. And in these last days, we need to believe God can do some things that he's never done before. Just because you've not seen it doesn't mean God can't do it. Let me give you this last point. Unselfish compassion, unwavering confidence, and untiring servanthood. <laughs> Verse 2. Syrians had gone out by companies, brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and listen to this last sentence, and she waited on Naaman's wife. You know what that means? She did her job. She did her job. She did it right. Little maid, give me a glass of iced tea. You don't know where the refrigerator is? What's wrong with your feet? Huh? Little maid, little maid. Little maid, would you hear us? I'm listening to my jam music on my earphones. I can't hear you. Little maid, it's time to go to church. Now, we're talking full circle here. Today's. Do we have to go to church again tonight? We went this morning. Why do we have to go tonight? 
Why do we have to keep going? If you want your kids to love God, don't let them see you, you pouting when you're serving God. I've had people all my ministry, would you go to my house and talk to my parents about the Lord? I'm really burdened about my mom and daddy. They need to be saved. And I'd go over there, I'd pray, and I'd go over there, I'd say, sure, would you? i go over there. I said, you know, little Janie uh, is concerned about her mom and daddy. And I've sat there and listened to a mama say, so she's concerned about us? She's burdened about us? Why don't she get burdened about making her bed every day? Why don't she get burdened about being home when she's supposed to? She's concerned about us? Why don't she be burdened about dressing like she's trying to sell something? Talk to my wife. My wife won't submit. And then to hear that wife say, well, would you, my husband's concerned with me not submitting? Would you tell my husband to quit watching porn? Would you tell my husband I've never spotted him in our years of marriage ever sitting down reading the Bible by himself? And he wants me to submit to him? You see, Rarely have I ever been able to lead those kind of people to Christ because the lives are a contradiction to the gospel witness. Don't get spiritual only when you bless your food. I hear an employer say, I don't know why nobody ever comes to church. I try to get them to come to church and, and they, won't even, they won't even come to church. It may be because every other word you say is a cuss word. Maybe they're saying, I, I can't understand why you even go to church. It may be that our New Year's resolution this year ought to be this. I will not tell anybody about God until I start living like I love God. Maybe we just need to shut evangelism down. And say until we get to the point where we're loving like God wants us to love. Let's don't be a hypocrite and try to win people. Vance Havner said this. I love Vance Havner. We're fighting the greatest battle of all time with the most untrained army on earth. If strict discipline is necessary in art and athletics, how can we expect to be advanced Christians? And stay in kindergarten. Mark Trammell will be here Tuesday night. They've got a song that says something like this. You walk talks and you talk walks. But you walk talks a lot louder than you talk walks. Mm. Discipline. Dependability. This young little maid had those things. One of my favorite songs. I've asked Brother Mark and Brother Ron, come. If y'all would, come. We're going to sing it. It's part of my time. I've still got three minutes. This song's meant a great deal to me, and I know it has to Brother Mark, too. And we needed a high tenor, and Ron was here, so we're going to put him in here, too. Have we got mics up here somewhere?
Is it on? I don't guess I need one. I got this. Are these on? Check. Yeah. Test, test. Oh, yeah. 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 Mark, you do the song of my soul. The song 
soul since the Lord made me whole has been the old story so blessed of Jesus who saved whosoever will have a home in the haven of rest. To save by his power divine. Come anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say, My beloved is mine. Father, tonight, thank you that you give us an opportunity to anchor our soul. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'll be more disciplined than we've ever been before. But Lord, more than any of that, God, help us to love like you love. Help us to see people like you see people. Help us to have a testimony like this young maid who said, I know my God can do it. I not only know he can, I know he will. Oh, that my Lord could be back with the prophet who could cure him. Lord, we've got the cure. If you'll help us to create the testimony that people will listen to us. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.